What's up, podcast world? This life ain't for everybody back at you. Thank you, Jack Daniels, for bringing everybody another exciting episode. Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey, the iconic Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. I'm excited about today's episode. We're going to talk a lot about things I love. Um, The main one being wild game, wild game preparation, the butchering, the processing, and how to get everything out of that bounty maximize capitalize on why we are hunters why we are living off the land why we grow a garden why we want to know where our food comes from and my guest today has kind of uh, mastered this michael hunter the hunter chef the owner the founder the proprietor i know you have a partner in the antler restaurant up north of the border up by our canadian family in toronto michael how are you my brother I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. I'm fired up. You're here. I got to start off with uh, your our uh, mutual friend Joe Rogan. You're uh, <laughs> you've been a guest on his podcast, and he's been coming under a little bit of fire. But I think it's awesome what Joe's done the last. I don't. That's probably been three years now. How much he absolutely loves elk hunting and preparing yep. elk. And he's he's been noted as bragging about your restaurant, loves eating in your restaurant. But talk to me a little bit about what's going on with him now and just kind of like the support that you showed him on your social media and the fire he's come under just for, you know, conversation, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. But have you talked to him lately? You know what? I haven't, uh, you know, checked out. I sent him a note uh, just a few weeks ago to, you know, saying to, uh, you know, he's, he's inspiring so many people um just by you know the guests he's having on that uh you know have something different to say other than the narrative on the mainstream media um you know referring to um uh you know robert malone and some of the other kind of doctors he's had on um you know and it's just it just seems like the world is so politicized these days you know it's so polar opposite you know one side versus the other and and um you know, we're, we're the Canadian government's been super strict with COVID and regulations up here. Like we're still in lockdown. Uh, my restaurant is still uh, 50% capacity because of COVID. Um, you know, it's tough to make a living. It's it's you know, kids' sports were canceled. They've just been allowed to start up again after after the new year. Um, so you know, people's a lot of people's lives have been devastated. You know, a lot of uh, you know people that their businesses are, are personal services or face-to-face kind of business uh, i've just been devastated people have lost their livelihoods and and um you know so to, to hear someone like joe kind of speak out about some of the stuff that's going on or at least have some people on that have a little you know something different to say um you know really makes a difference i think for a lot of people you talk about being a restaurateur being an entrepreneur having covid shut down businesses the way that it is the way that in my opinion some of these governments intended you know they it's almost like they want to see the suffering i you know with what we do in canada um small towns outfitters uh motels lodges fuel stations stores restaurants cafes these little small prairie towns in ontario or manitoba alberta saskatchewan where we've been going for two decades they depend on the americans and other countries coming there because tourism outdoor tourism for hunting and fishing it it would be my guess is the biggest tourism in canada especially in those provinces i I bet you in maybe in eastern canada um you probably have other tourism at you know avenues that are as strong as the outdoors but uh, I would, I would assume, which I know you get in trouble for assuming sometimes, but you would think that 
it's a no brainer that we have to have this influx of money and revenue stream to keep restaurants like yours or, you know, these smaller towns than you're, you're in a larger city, but these outfitters, they're dying on the limb because we yeah. can't go up and, and, you know, we're not sending deposits in there. We're not t- t- making yeah. sure that they have the amount of money that it takes to, to, you know, whether it's run the lodge or pay their employees or bait for bears or whatever it is they're doing, they need yeah. money to do that and stay in business. So when, when I look at p- photos of you online and I, and I know other, you know, I have other friends that own restaurants and to see it still be at 50% capacity in Ontario, this time in 2022 or two full years since this started it just blows my mind so but what what i want to know is your inner psyche like you have to be a (laughs) competitor you have to be a winner and a champion to even put up with this bullshit right like this is crazy that we're even still talking about it in my opinion now i'm not taking it lightly i know people have been affected by it but 22 years later you're trying to make a living in the restaurant business. Tell me about the anxiety, the the attitude, the mental aptitude that it is taking you. It's had to have taken its toll on you physically, mentally, emotionally, your marriage, everything that goes into success and seeing yeah. something being so tarnished because of this. Tell me how it's been and how you've survived this. Um, you know, thankfully, uh, our cookbook came out last year. So, you know, in the midst of all this, uh, you know, shutdowns and things like that, um, you know, we launched the hunter chef cookbook so um you know I, i've been working on this project for about 10 years kind of off and on you know doing a lot of the photography myself um and so that really that gave us a, a shelf stable product that we could sell <laughs> because you know food is perishable so you can't freeze everything um so you know having some merch uh to sell was was a huge help we you know we did some hats uh we were selling some maple syrup um, you know, we just basically found a way to survive. Um, we were doing, um, sort of tasting menu style, uh, three course meal kits. Um, we did a butcher box, a game butcher box, uh, you know, with deer, bison, duck, you know, things like that in the, in the kit. Um, so we basically just kind of found a way to, way to survive through all the, uh, the chaos. Um, you know, there were periods where they did let us open basically spring and summer. They let us open. Um, and then, uh, you know, when, when, uh, flu season came around, they shut us down again. So, um, it's just been, uh, you know, an emotional roller coaster, a nightmare as uh, as a business owner. And, um, it's just incredibly frustrating and this, uh, especially really, I think a lack of sympathy, um, you know, from, from, from people that are in different, you know, business sectors that are either profiting from this or, um, you know, life hasn't really changed too much for, for some people. Uh, you know, they can just work from home and they prefer working from home. So they're sort of enjoying this and they're, you know, advocates for a lot of these restrictions that we're still facing. And it's, uh, you know, it's just incredibly frustrating. Did you and your partner have to have hard talks? Um, like, can we survive it? Can we keep it open? Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, you know, thankfully there's been uh there's been a few grants that we were able to uh to take from the government uh we did take out loans thankfully we haven't had to use them um you know we're actually still holding on to one just in case you know we don't know what the uh the climate's going to be um you know the good news is uh the 50 percent capacity is being lifted on thursday um so we can do 100 percent, you know at the end of this week and then um march 1st they're getting rid of the vaccine passport uh for the province so thankfully that's going away too well good i've been watching the reports yeah. i'm hoping that we get I, i'm i'm hoping that it continues to develop momentum and yeah. 
it stabilizes even more to where, you know, we see the vaccine mandate dropped at the border, you know, because yeah. I, 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 I didn't miss Canada for 19 years in a row from 2000 yeah. to 2019. And then all of a sudden they're like, you can't come up here anymore unless you do this. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. And the yeah. only ones you're hurting are them up there. There was outfitters that I know that would run four to 600 guns a season that are down yeah. in the 50s and 60s. And if they didn't yeah. have their farming business to fall back on, they would have been smoked. You know, I, there was numbers in Alberta and Manitoba that like 50% of the outfitters from 2020 did not renew their outfitting licenses for 2021. So if you think about the overall effect it's had on on the 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 Canadian outfitter, the Canadian outdoorsman and outdoorswoman and these in these business owners, it's it's so sad to see. But I don't want to like I don't want the whole conversation to be about, you know, the sadness of what the pandemic has caused. I just want to make sure that people understood what kind of man you are and your partner that you guys fought. You're continuing to fight. Yeah. Um, Thank you. And I, and I love seeing that. And one of the, the last questions of, of maybe controversy that I want to talk, that I want to ask you before we get into your flair of food <laughs> is a lot of, uh, we get a lot of shit down here, bro. When we start talking about killing animals and eating them. Okay. Yeah. People are like, like we had this video that uh, Jennifer and our company posted on TikTok on our page a week ago. Yeah. And, or it was probably four, four or five days ago. In the first 18 hours, we had 49,000 views on this video. It was just a simple duck recipe. But we yeah. showed the duck being ripped open and the breast being taken out of it. Yeah. It got taken down. I'm like, wow. what? Yeah. So my question to you, Michael Hunter, is even in the beef business, people are like, well, if it's a hamburger, it's fine because they really don't even have an idea in their head of how that cow or that steer is, is butchered. Right. That's crazy to yeah. me. So did it take its toll on you? Did you have the ultimate amount of, of negative feedback when, Hey, you're not just a beef restaurant. You're actually serving yeah. Buffalo and duck and deer and all of this venison. Did, was it, was it kind of compounded by that? Um, well, I, like, are you referring to the protests a couple of years ago or well, I, I just, just like think regularly that, on social media? I think the social uh, media and the protests are very important in your answer yeah. to me because I just want to know, like, does it do people look at this as even even worse than just serving a beefsteak yeah. at a restaurant? Does my question make sense? Yeah. You know what? Like right from day one, we were uh, we were very successful. We were very busy, which was um you know, a little, a little bit surprising. You know, we had uh, we had a chicken dish on the menu. Our, so, for those of you who don't know, uh, I own a restaurant called Antler, um, and our focus is uh, is game animals and everything wild, like wild fish, wild mushrooms. We go foraging in the spring for morels and chanterelles in the summer and things like that. And um, much like the laws in the states, all the game has to be farmed. So I can't go and shoot it and bring it in. Uh, you know, we buy from local duck, a duck farm, a deer farm. Um, you know everything's local uh you know the bison's from alberta but other than that everything's from ontario so um but you know when we first opened we put a chicken dish on the menu just in case you know somebody wasn't into eating venison or or bison or rabbit so um but we we couldn't sell the chicken we were eating it for staff meals because nobody <laughs> was ordering it which was great so awesome. you know we ended up taking that off the menu so you know i i think we were really well received um you know, but I don't think, uh, you know, with a name like Antler, people are coming, they kind of know what to expect. You know, it kind of has a steakhouse vibe to it a little bit, you know, in the name. Um, 
and uh, something that I didn't really consider, but um, I would love to sell uh, more fish and seafood. Um, but with a name like Antler, people are coming for red meat. So it's a bit frustrating for me uh, because I love, you know, uh, you know, scallops from the East Coast and, uh, you know, uh, wild halibut from the West Coast and, you know, things like that. And, and we do sell a little bit of fish, but it's not really our, our primary, uh, you know, what we're known for. So, um, you know, we've, we've been lucky, you know, despite the protest that happened three years ago, you know, up until that point, uh, you know, even after that, that was sort of an isolated incident, but, um, you know, we've, we've been lucky and even, you know, I'm pretty careful on social media. Um, I try and just stick to the kind of food aspect of stuff. Um, you know, I do, I do share some hunting, uh, content as well. And, and, um, you know, I don't know if I've ever put up a kill shot necessarily on, on my channels, but, um, you know, I, I think I get away with a little bit more cause it's strictly food, um, you know, with a little bit of hunting mixed in. So, um, I find that if you talk about the food stuff first, I can kind of get away with a bit more, I think. Yeah. It's like, I've heard that too. You know, when we, when we, when we start with the recipe, or start mm-hmm. with the idea of it becoming table fare or a bounty, then yeah. it'd be, you know, during the pandemic, going back to that, you know, when people couldn't get meat or beef at the stores and the restaurants are closed and they'd come over and you'd cook for them. And I'd be like, did you enjoy it? And they're like, yeah, what is this? I'm like, that's wild Turkey. Well, where'd you get it? I'm like, yeah. Kansas. Uh, yeah. Well, how do you, how do I get one? And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. you hunt, you know, or yeah. you, or you know, a hunter that's not, yeah. that's not too selfish or greedy to share some of this meat. So, yeah. you know, there's been a huge influx in hunting licenses and fishermen and, and new fisher fishermen and, and, and outdoorsmen getting involved. And I think that, you know, the, the culinary part of it is kind of the last thing that most of these guys and girls are going to experience of like, oh, wow, like this is the ultimate now. The ultimate lifestyle, yeah. in my opinion, is to be able to hone your skill set and live off the land, whether you're gardening, yeah. raising your own steer, your pigs, your chickens, your lambs, whatever it is, or becoming a hunter, a fisher, gatherer. Um, what was it in your life, Michael? Tell me a little bit about the the culinary background, the education. How does a guy get a conf- the confidence to, I know you said it's a decade-long process and project of working on the hunter cookbook, um, the hunter chef cookbook, but what? where does your confidence come from to actually open up up a restaurant to where you're going to be feeding these recipes to the general public um so i uh i grew up on a uh, horse farm as a kid and uh i loved nature loved food um you know always into you know trying new things i would you know enjoy sushi or you know just some stuff normal kids wouldn't like so i I always kind of had a affinity for food and then um uh, the summer before I was going into high school, I wanted a part-time job. So I rode my bike. Uh, there was a local kind of gas station and diner on the corner um, from the town I lived in uh, when I was a kid. And uh, I rode my bike there. They didn't need help at the gas bar, but they asked if I could help out in the kitchen. So I took the job and, uh, you know, I started washing dishes and helping out with brunch. Um, and it was like, you know, classic greasy spoon diner, but they were busy. They had a lineup at the door, you know, on the weekends and i loved it you know it was fun and social there was you know it was all like kind of high school you know kids working there um and i just thought it was a real fun social atmosphere and and um you know all through high school i i I worked uh i worked there for a couple years and i worked at a golf course growing up in high school and then um what really kind of started my passion was I, i started working in a fine dining country inn um in the off season from the golf course and that's where um 
I really fell in love with food. The, the chef was a real chef and, and uh, was, a, was a mentor to me. And uh, he's actually still, you know, close. I consider him a close friend of mine today. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where I, I learned about making bread and making pasta from scratch. And we'd go across the road into the forest and pick mushrooms on our break. And, um, you know, I really developed uh, a fondness for nature and the outdoors and, and just uh, eating wild food, um, you know, working at this little restaurant. Um, and then from there, I went to culinary school, and uh, I, I had my daughter when I was 19, um, and she really inspired me just to succeed in, in business, you know, whatever that was. And you know, my passion was cooking. I had all this experience. I figured, okay, I'm I'm going to go to chef school and really make something of this. Um, so I think starting out so young and then you know working so hard, um, you know, right from the get go was was uh, you know really attributed to my success. When you go to to culinary school give me a little insight on you're a cook you're a chef you've been there done that lines out the doors you're at a country club you're at a greasy spoon diner um you know you 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 had an idea of how to prepare a meal what what's the biggest give me some of the biggest I guess generalities that you learn, like whoa, I had mm-hmm. like I've been cooking my whole <laughs> life, right? Like me personally, I, yeah. I I feel like I can make a duck taste pretty good. But if I yeah. walk into a culinary institute, what am yeah. I? What what blew your mind? Like wow, this is like on a totally different level. Um, so I did an apprenticeship program, which is pretty interesting. So I could go to school two days a week and then work the rest of the week, so and get paid. So it was sort of like a paid internship, uh, and it's an it's a Red Seal like apprentice trade, like a plumber or electrician, you know, something like that here. Um, and so for me, what was really interesting was was learning about you know the classics, like you know certain you know there's a there's a group of mother sauces that you know derive from France and this you know man created these five mother sauces where you know hollandaise is from and you know there's all these you know classical kind of preparations and and traditions for things so i think just i liked some of the historical uh you know influences of food and traditions um you know a a lot of the that you know the basic culinary skills we were learning i was already sort of advanced in you know we used to break down lamb and that's that's how i learned how to you know i knew how to break down a deer because i broke down you know 50 lamb um you know so it was it was you know the the hands-on stuff wasn't um you know that that important for me at this school but it was really some of the classical knowledge um and also you know for running a business uh, a lot of the sanitation stuff um you know health code regulations and danger zones and you know chemicals and there's just a there's a lot to learn um you know because you don't want to make somebody sick and 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 um things like that so um what I, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed. They, they had a wine program at the school too, so we had wine classes, learning about, you know, um, how wine is made and fermentation and stuff like that, which I thought was 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 really really cool. So, um, you know, definitely a, a positive experience for me. But, um, you know, there's a lot of chefs out there that that don't go ever go to chef school, and they're they're you know amazing chefs. So, um, it's not something that you know is definitely required. But um, for me, I you know I think it was uh, it was good for me to go when you open the doors now you have the grand opening of antler i want to get into antler that's why i wanted to talk with you because i'm so intrigued by this because the restaurant business can be a you know what like it's you're married to it i mean straight up you're married to it um yeah a lot of respect for ones that make it a lot of them don't make it past that infancy stage i mean like 
I don't even yeah, know what the percentage 50%, is. Fifty percent close in the first uh, five years or something. It's first five it's, years. Uh, I think it's twenty five percent close in the first year, and then after that, it's like fifty percent are gone, and the and the next. I think it's different for cities, but like uh, I, I was told, New York is like the the life lifespan of a brand in New York is like three years or something. Like it is, it's it is nuts. short turnover. But, um, yeah, so you know we're on our sixth year, um, and uh, you know right before COVID, we we're at the stage of maybe trying to open a second one. Well, we were trying to open a second one, and COVID squashed that. We we're we we're looking at a building down the street. Um, so uh, yeah, so now you know we're just kind of waiting for the dust to settle and the economy to sort itself out and we'll figure it again kind of how we're gonna how we're gonna grow yeah you got to build one down here that's how you got to grow yeah <laughs> <laughs> so then we can eat at it all the time so what I would love to. I would love talk to. to me about that first night that first week yeah. um, um what what what, right, so... what what were you what were you what was on the menu what was the reaction yeah. did you do a soft opening where you we were did. getting the opinion yeah, so how did it work we out had family so we had family and friends for the first two nights we did a media night um and then uh so the the very first night i, I don't, can't remember if it was our soft opener or our real open but our grease trap basically exploded onto the floor um which for those of you listening that don't know it's um you know in a commercial kitchen there's a lot of grease that ends up going down the drain so there's this big box where the grease floats but then the water sinks and you know shoots out a pipe at the bottom but it's this big box of uh, absolutely horrid smelling decomposing grease um so this thing plugged up flooded the kitchen stank like hell um so that was our opening night which was really funny uh looking back on it but uh you know just really gross and it uh kind of just you know is is uh, the restaurant business in a night uh, nutshell you know there's always something broken you know electrical something equipment the roof was leaking the other day which is a landlord problem but it leaks through our ceiling which we have to fix and um you know it's it's never a dull moment and you know i've i've been in the business now over 20 years um i'm, pr I'm pretty okay with that like i i understand nothing really shocks me anymore um you know i just got a text uh, i'm off today but one of the guys hurt his back carrying an order down the stairs so he went home so there's always always problems and you know you have to be the kind of person just to, to roll with those and and uh you know just figure out solutions as quick as you can as opposed to getting pissed off because you just waste time at that point uh upset where if you just you know immediately look for the solution uh your life will be a lot better i think do you <laughs> Are you the the executive chef on the night? Are you in there every night of the week? How does it work out as far as what you're trying to do? So, you know, the last couple of years I've taken a step back just because of the, we, we took some time off to work on the cookbook. Um, so I think after year three, um, my business partner and I, my business partner is also a photographer. So he, uh, he was helping with uh, the photography. Um, and we decided, you know, if we're ever going to really get this book done, we have to kind of step up, step back a bit. Um, so we hired uh, at that point a chef de cuisine that would um, really run the kitchen on a day-to-day -day, um, uh, stance. Um, so yeah, so I've, I've taken a step back. I'm still there, you know, probably four or five days a week. Um, uh, you know, I'll be there working on new dishes, but you know, the day-to-day -day prep and the actual cooking, um, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not in there uh, behind the line, you know, anymore. Um, which I, you know, I miss at times, but also, you know, I work at, you know, it ends up being a 12 hour shift when you're in the kitchen and my knees hurt. Like it's just, you know, I've done my dues and, uh, and, you know, I, I trust the guy that's in there. He's, he's a great and talented chef. Um, he's actually from Scotland and they used to, they, they're allowed to buy, um, you know, game right from hunters. So they, he, he loves uh, game. So he was very excited to come to antler, um, cause it, you know, kind of reminded him what he was doing back home. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm in there every day, but I'm not necessarily, you know, behind the stove. I'm in the office putting out, you know, fires and literally patching ceilings and fixing uh, wine cabinets and, you know, doing all the work that uh, a maintenance guy would do on occasion. But it's, uh, yeah, I still love it. Do you still love to eat? Like, do you get oh, into this? There's, there's a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people have this mentality though. Like if you do what you love for a living, you're going to not love it as much. Like, Hey, do you still like the duck hunt because you do it for a living? Or if yeah. you make your, your hobby, you know, you've heard that, right? Like, yeah. do you still it look at a chore? At that yeah. It becomes a chore, but do you, st- I love to eat. I like good yeah. food. I like to experiment. Yeah. Um, do you still get, have a lot of passion for the palate and the oh, yeah, overall 100%. experience? Yeah, you know, there's I've I've I'm constantly I cook at home, you know, most nights. Um, you know, I've got projects going in the fridge. I've got a bear uh backstrap and heart uh brining for pastrami in my fridge, you know, that I'm gonna smoke on the Traeger later. Um, you know, so I'm constantly um, you know, still experimenting and playing uh with food at home on a daily basis. Um Wait you know, a minute, you're gonna make deer liver pastrami? Uh, bear heart pastrami. Bear, bear, oh wait, okay. Bear heart pastrami. <laughs> heart pastrami, yeah. And and there's a bear uh, backstrap in there too for pastrami. Bear heart um, pastrami. Yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> that that's a real experiment. Yeah, yeah. So and we well we do uh, we do deer heart pastrami at the restaurant. Um, but uh, I was you know I'm trying to clean out my freezer and I found this heart that I had saved. Um, uh, so yeah, that's that's in like a saltwater brine with a bunch of spices and I'll. Uh, you know, rub it with cracked black pepper and coriander and then uh, smoke it until it's, uh, so, and then, you know, as you know, bear, you got to cook it well done. So I'm going to smoke that until it's, um, you know, one, one sixty-five or one seventy-five in the internal, uh, temperature, but, um, yeah, it makes a great kind of deli meat. Explain to the audience, if you would, Michael, what a brine is. Uh, so brine is just a salt water solution, um, to cure. It's like a wet cure for, um, for meat or fish i guess you can do vegetables too but um you know mainly people people brine um turkey a lot turkey chicken turkey is great uh brine make a huge difference um you know for thanksgiving or even for wild turkey because it doesn't have the same kind of fat content it's a little tougher than your farm-raised birds so um and what happens is it, it uh it breaks down the meat so when you cook it it's more tender um and the reason why you soak it in water is it because it penetrates the meat faster than just you know salting it on top. Is a brine uh, completely different than a marinade? Now I know that because people are always going to say, "Well, I put my my duck breast in this Italian uh, dressing, dressing or some teriyaki yeah. sauce or Worcestershire, yeah. and they develop yeah. what they call a marinade." You might even add a little yeah. water to marinade, and a marinade can yeah. be very salty. What's the difference between yeah. a marinade and a brine? Uh, I, I think, you know, I would describe it as a brine is completely submerged. Uh, and it's really, you know, the main ingredient is water at that point. Um, you know, when I do a brine, uh, it's anywhere from 3% to 7% salt. So, you know, per, uh, you know, per gallon, um, that would be, uh, you know, like 300, uh, grams of salt, you know, to say, so it's, it's, um, you know, I would say a brine is completely submerged in water. Um, and really a brine can just be water and salt. You know, I put uh, spices and sometimes chopped onion and garlic and things like that in it, but it could really just be salt and water. Salt and water. 
So when you when you start thinking about all of the different things that you have going on in your refrigerator now you you transition that into a restaurant style setting how like what the diversity of your menu is it is it kind of a menu to where it's set and that's what the customer can get or is it one of those day-to-day menus to where when you go in there you print it every day because you were able to get this meat this week and this seafood this yeah. week or is it is it ever changing yeah, no. So we, we have a set menu, um, but it, we're, we're you know we're pretty seasonal. Um, you know, when salmon's in season, we'll take the fresh salmon. When it's halibut season, we take the you know the halibut. Um, you know, because we're buying the farmed game, um, our proteins. You know, I try and keep the same animals on the menu at, at, at all times. You know, in the winter, uh, we'll do confit duck legs, but in the summer and spring, you know, we'll do a grilled duck breast. That's a little uh, you know or pan roasted duck breast. That's a little lighter, you know, not so heavy as, as a confit duck leg. Um, you know, definitely with, uh, you know, seasonality of vegetables, we change the sides up, um, you know, pretty frequently. Um, but a lot of our proteins are, 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 you know, kind of the same since we've opened, but we, we change the dish with the same protein. Um, you know, I've got my deer farmer, I've got my duck farmer, and these are guys that, you know, I want to support and, um, you know, kind of be loyal to, um, so really it's just you know we we change the uh, the side dishes sort of seasonally i like when you talk waterfowl talked you said con feed duck leg yeah explain yeah, to the audience <laughs> if you would michael con feed and yeah. there's this new there's this new i mean i guess it was relatively new down here in the states right now but yeah. in the last 36 months the sous vide stuff has become oh, really yeah. popular yeah. is con kind of like this or explain the two so, would you Confit me. It, it's essentially a preservation method. So it's what um, you know. It comes. It's a French word, um, and it's it's cured and slowly poached in fat. And it's actually you know traditionally stored in the fat. So you'd take a mason jar. Um, you know you you again traditionally it's made with duck because the duck legs are tougher. Um, you salt the duck. It can be a mixture of salt and sugar and spices. Salt the legs to cure them. And then you'd rinse off the salt, pat them dry, and then pan fry it in a like cast iron skillet, and then transfer that to either a bigger pot or like a, a baking um, kind of casserole dish, and you fill it up with duck fat. And then that goes in the oven, and you slowly poach it. And wow. what happens is you get like an extremely tender, fall off the bone um, duck leg. And then from there, you would, you know, either either keep that covered in fat or put it into a like mason jar with a screw top lid. Um, and uh you can store those in the cold cellar basically all winter so um you know traditionally it's a it's a preserve you know something that people and and, you know these are things that i you know when i was a young chef totally geeked out on learning was you know people did this for preservation and for survival it wasn't because it was trendy you know it was this is what people did to store food when they didn't have a fridge um but uh, you know confit is a really rich heavy dish um, but it's, it's, it's beautiful. So when I, you know, when I started hunting Canada geese, uh, and even Turkey, you know, my friends told me, don't even keep the legs. They're like, Oh, the legs are tough. They're shit. You can't even eat them. Uh, and I, as a chef, I'm like, what are you talking about? So I would go and take all the legs and then I'd, you know, make a stew or a, you know, casserole or, you know, make this confit and I'd bring it to our next hunt. And, you know, my friends were just blown away. They were like, I thought you couldn't eat this, you know, or like my dad says, you can't eat this. They're too tough. Well, you know, if you just grilled it or threw it in a pan, you know, of course it's going to be tough. It's a wild, you know, it could be a nine-year-old goose, you know, that's uh, paddling uh, around a lake all day. You know, those muscles are tough, right? So, but, you know, with the right, you know, recipe and kind of cooking method, um, you know, they're really delicious. 
can we do this when I see you in Duck Camp as oh, well? That's that's a, that's an Absolutely. open invite. We got to do. I want to do that one for sure. Talk, you mentioned yeah. duck fat. Tell, yeah. As a as a trained chef, yeah. Educate myself and the audience on rendering because you said duck yeah. fat. You said yeah. you're cooking in fat. Well, there's a rendering process because yeah. I have tubs that look kind of like this cup here with a. Yeah. Uh, it would be like a cup that like pho would come in. You know, like your broth yeah. for pho. Your deli cup. Yeah. Your deli cup with a lid, and I and I freeze duck fat or goose fat for the year, yeah. and then I use it for different recipes. But explain yeah. explain to me the 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 art of rent i love rendering yeah, yeah. right and yeah when, when, when i show a video of us cutting the breast out of a duck without keeping the skin or fat on i mean yeah. people just come unglued right because yeah, they, yeah. I, it, with social media they see one video and they automatically yeah. think like that's how we do every bird and i'm like yeah no i we we, yeah. we keep the skin and fat on but talk to me a little bit about the art of rendering yeah um okay so you know really you know beginning of the fall you know when duck season starts there's not a lot of fat on the birds. Um, you know, you know this, uh, but for people that are, or let's say that may not know, um, you know, really those, those late season birds, um, they start to store fat for the winter. So they're, you know, they, they're pretty fatty, um, you know, in and around the, uh, kind of stomach cavity, um, there'll be kind of some fat, um, or just, you know, there'll be like an inch of skin, you know, that's, that's just bright yellow. So they're starting to store fat kind of, you know, I find in December, um, and then you can kind of trim the fat, you know, in front of the breast, kind of going up the neck, you can trim that skin off and trim the skin, um, you know, around the stomach and things like that. And basically just slowly cook it in a, in a pot. So you'd save up all these kind of fatty trim bits off your birds, um, and just, uh, slowly cook it in a pot, um, to let some of that, let the grease come out of the skin. Uh, and then from there you strain it through a colander and um you know you can use a cheesecloth if you want to get the little bits um and store it all um you know like you said for for later use um you know i i like to keep all my bear fat you know it's a lot easier to to save and render bear fat there's you know tons of fat on the inside of the stomach uh you can chop up and, and slowly render um even deer like i i like deer lard even though it is quite thick um but i i you know i'll keep deer lard or uh, you know mix it in with my with my ground but um, you know, definitely a neat tool uh, to use when cooking. Um, you mentioned bear and deer, lard and fat, because it's easier. You said because there's so much more of it on a, so on much a bear. More of it, yeah. But is duck the best? Is duck fat the I best in your opinion? Is, it's definitely one of the the tastiest. And you know, a lot of us like if you're buying duck fat, it's all farm. So like a farm duck, uh, you know, there's twice as much fat on a farm duck as as a wild duck. You know, especially when you're looking at time of year. Um, um, so yes, um, you know, I think duck fat is probably one of the tastiest. Um, I really like bear fat. It, it is very neutral. Uh, I find in flavor, um, and it's uh, it's a softer fat, so it works really. I find it's great in pastries. Um, but I'll you know sear steaks and bear fat all the time just because they get so much of it. I there's a, a craze down here in the states with duck fat i mean everybody is doing tortilla chips or taco yeah, tortillas cool. <laughs> and, and you know flour tortilla there's yeah. there's companies out there that are are really you know utilizing the duck fat yeah. method and i yeah. i absolutely love it i mean i love the yeah. the idea of rendering speckle belly fat you know you get those yeah. rice birds in january and in, in like yeah. the butte sink of california the right fat is like, amazing you know i've never uh we don't get specs where i live um, but yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to, uh, experience that. 
Yeah, the the speckle belly hunting in California, you can get them in Louisiana and Arkansas, Texas, East yep. Texas as well. But they're you can kill you can kill quite a few of them per day in in California. Right. And the meat that you get on those those it's my favorite waterfowl. Yeah. A lot of people oh, cool. think a lot of people say sandhill cranes are kind of the ribeye in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Wood duck gets a lot of people talking. The canvas back is one of my favorite ducks. Mallards yeah. I love, but that speckle belly yeah. goose when it's in the wet rice, really? cool. it's on yeah. a different level of of taste wow. and flavor. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I gotta kind of check that out. So yeah, I shoot a lot of Canada's. Um, we have a we have a nuisance hunt actually coming up in two weeks where you can shoot ten per day. Um, that I'm looking forward to. Um, but yeah, I, sh- I shoot a lot of mallards. Our opening day is like all wood ducks all weekend, uh, all weekend long. Um, we have a few uh, canvas backs, but they're they're more towards Lake Erie, so they're they're pretty far west, about three hours southwest of me. Um, you know, to go target them, but. Um, yeah, we get we get a lot of the you know blue billed scop and redheads and um, a lot of mallards. Um, but yeah, the mainly you know mainly puddle ducks around where where I am. So if I came into your restaurant and you happen to be there one night, it's a night that I'm lucky yep. enough to catch the owner and founder Michael Hunter. There. What what do you say when I say, well, what do you recommend? Like, is there a go to that you have all the utmost confidence in that is one of your favorite dishes that you've created? um our charcuterie board is is pretty cool um you know we've got wild boar uh pancetta on there we've got um bison tongue that's smoked on there which is pretty cool um you know we have a duck liver parfait um some some really neat stuff you know i mentioned the heart earlier we'll do and you know terrines and things like that so um charcuterie board for sure is sort of a must try um and uh you know definitely the deer dish or our bison ribeye is probably our you know most uh popular dish on the menu take me through without giving up any secrets the bison bison ribeye. <laughs> i'm i'm getting so, ready we're getting ready to throw down on some ribeyes tomorrow so yeah, teach me okay, something cool. awesome so um when i first got this bison in i thought it was horrible it it uh we got it i didn't really realize it was fresh like killed you know six days prior to me receiving this so it was it looked like jelly this the meat was like bright red it was like not aged at all um you know i tried to cut a steak and it was falling apart and we cooked this and it was like shoe leather and i was like oh my god i just bought a case of this you know garbage um that we're gonna have to grind but uh, so we tied it up and we dry aged it for about three weeks and uh you know it lost you know probably a third of the moisture all the uh you know the muscle just came together uh, and actually looked like a ribeye at that point you know we tied it with butcher twine and, and put it on a rack in our fridge to to age um and then what so what we do is we cast iron skillet them um you know really smoking hot pan um you know vegetable oil and then butter um and then while they're frying in the pan uh you want to add uh, rosemary you can do thyme um and some crushed garlic and then um you know another another knob or two of butter and then we baste it with a spoon so we kind of tilt the pan to the side and it's called butter basting you take your spoon and kind of flick the the you know um butter that's simmering in the steak and you're basically infusing the butter with the garlic and the rosemary um so then you're basting the steak with that and that's that's sort of the the secret to uh to what we do at the restaurant 
How big is this bison ribeye? Is it bone in and, and how how many no, ounces? No, so it's 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 boneless uh, and they're ten ounce ten ounce steaks. ten ounce boneless bison ribeye ribeyes. Yeah, once in a while we do get uh, we do get them um, on the bone on occasion, but we'll feature those. How's the fat uh, on a buffalo expensive. on a bison ribeye? It's neat. Um, it's actually kind of more yellow. So um, yeah, just kind of it's, you know like that wild turkey. It's like a, a yellow fat. Um, and they're definitely a lot leaner. There's not as much fat, um, but once we age them, they're they're pretty tender. Okay, do the same thing for me if you don't mind, Michael. On a duck breast, you had mentioned pan fried yeah. duck breast before. Uh-huh. If you came to one of my camps, it's going to be a dry rub on a Traeger smoke, and then with a reverse sear process with some basting yeah. going on. Um, yeah. You know, some 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 food weights of pressing it down and getting yeah, a really good reverse good. <laughs> sear on it. But but tell me a little bit about the process of the the correct way to make a duck breast taste good and. Talk a little bit about the internal temp because the main reason duck and goose gets a bad rap down here is people tend to cook it too long, just like pretty much every wild game. Right. So talk to me a little bit about your favorite duck process. Um, So, you know, mallards are one of my favorites. And like I said, late season when the fat's on them nicely and if you've shot them right, you know, in the head, they're not full of, you know, the breasts aren't full of feathers. Um, You know, I like to pluck them, even if I'm, you know, going to breast the bird or whatever. I like to pluck the breast before I cut them out. Um, And then uh, I'll I'll probably, you know, let that age or dry age the fridge, even for a couple of days, just to let some of the moisture escape from the... uh, I've actually got one in my fridge right now with the wing on, but it's uh, it's plucked with one wing on, so for transportation. Um, but I like to air dry them a little bit just to it lets that skin get crispier. But um, and then you know if there's a lot of fat, you can kind of score it with uh, your knife a little bit to 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 give that fat like a channel to escape um, when you're cooking, and you end up getting uh, a crispier skin. So you know for me, uh, duck is all about crispy skin. Um, so I like to cast iron skillet them again, um, you know, skin side down first and you can actually you start it hot, but turn it down and actually just render the, the fat out slowly and you'll get a crispier, um, crispier duck. And then, you know, kind of halfway through that cooking process, you can add, you know, as I mentioned before, the garlic, rosemary, any other kind of herbs or spices you want. Um, and you can butter baste, um, the meat with, with the fat, uh, while the, breast is still skinned down cooking and you can actually finish cooking it just by butter basting it um and what happens is that skin uh, just you know becomes like pork crackling so you 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 start with high heat on your on, are you cast ironing this or is it any kind you of cast iron or even like a heavy bottom pan a heavy works, bottom pan. works great and high um, heat high heat so we're talking 400 started, degrees here to start yeah i start at high heat and then i'll turn it down and just kind of do medium heat to let it render because the slower that it renders you'll end up with a crispier what does uh, the high heat at the, the beginning do? Get that fat started? I think it just gets it started and it won't stick. So if you put something in like a cold pan, I find it sticks. Any duck breast will stick to it. Um, so, yeah, I like to kind of start everything in a hot pan. Uh, and just, you know, the meat itself will cool it down uh, a little bit when you put it in there. Um, but yeah, that's just the way I like to do it. You know, no, it sounds awesome. And scoring is yeah. the, the scoring is a technique to where you take a sharp knife and cut through the fat, but you don't penetrate the actual meat, right? Yeah. You try not to cut the meat. And what happens is that it just, it, it allows kind of more like surface area of heat to get in that little cut, um, and render more fat out. So you end up with a uh, crispier breast. So when you take this out and you serve it and the, the, I want to talk about 
the I want to be oh, educated. Done this. Yeah. Yes. So I want the internal temp. I want the color, yeah. and then I want yeah. the presentation of how do I impress the folks when right. I put a, when I put what what accompanies this? Is it asparagus? Yeah. Is it Brussels sprouts? How how do you make yeah. that plate come alive? Yeah. Uh, so one of my favorite dishes that we do at the restaurant is we actually serve it with like uh, maple baked beans and grits, uh, you know, cheddar Ooh. cheese grits. It's Ooh. like phenomenal. Um, uh, okay, Instead so of shrimp and grits, you got duck and grits. Yeah, I like duck it. And grits. So, you know, okay. So you mentioned doneness and cooking temperature. So when, when you Google, uh, you know, a steak medium rare, I'm pretty sure it says 135 for medium rare. Throw that out the window. So whatever Google says, deduct like 10 degrees from it. Um, so when I'm cooking a prime rib or steaks, or if I'm using a, a you know meat thermometer, um, especially for a big roast, I like to pull it out at 115 degrees Fahrenheit. So if I want medium rare, nice and red, um, I'm doing a prime rib or a steak or whatever have you, uh, you know, 115, 120, like max, stop cooking it and then put it on a wire rack to rest. And if you leave that thermometer in there, you'll watch that thermometer. It'll go up 10 degrees just sitting on your counter because yeah. that meat is so hot. And you've just taken it out of the pan. It doesn't stop cooking right away. It's still there's residual heat in there, and it, it it's 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 wild to watch the thermometer go up 10 degrees in five minutes. So let it rest. Um, you'll you're going to end up with you know 125, 130 degrees, um, and it'll be nice red. You know a little bit of pink towards the ends where they're thinner. Um, but that that's what I do for uh, a, you know perfect medium rare. Man, th th these podcasts are hard to do. Like I literally just ate lunch, <laughs> la ate lunch before this. And when I was, I was eating lunch, we tried this pizza. I'm in Nashville right now for the national wild yeah. Turkey Federation convention. Um, some of our friends brought back some of these, uh, I guess you would call them like custom pizzas or like craft yeah. pizza, craft pizzas, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, do you specialize in this type of art too? Do you, do you have a pizza oven? Because I've been doing a lot of um, experimenting the last couple of years with Traeger pizzas, which if okay. you master that, you can really get some good, um, yeah. you know, a good flavored pizza with the right crust. But yeah. give me an idea of the perfect or some type of wild game pizza that you've yeah. wowed people with. And, and what kind yeah. of cheeses do you use? What kind yeah. of peppers or sun-dried tomatoes? What goes good? Yeah. Is it basil sauce? Is it a red sauce yeah. like talk to me a little bit about a lot of you know pizza's personal preference um one of the pizzas that i like it's actually in my cookbook is uh, a venison brazola pizza brazola uh, and i had yeah so i had this in italy and um, it's basically just a pizza shell cooked there's no sauce on it. i think there's like you know olive oil and garlic um so it's just you know you fire in the dough you cook the dough and then um when that comes out, you put on uh, the brazola, so it's it's a it's a dry cured venison loin. Um, uh, you know, that's it's not smoked or anything; it's just dry cured, uh, almost like a prosciutto. You know, so it's, it yeah. has fresh, you know, shaved brazola on it, uh, fresh arugula, and then um, you know, you take a vegetable peeler and just put on ribbons of Parmesan cheese. Um, you know, douse it with olive oil. You can put basil on it from that point, but it's sort of like a fresh pizza. Oh, man, um, you know, really, awesome. really cool. Anyways, a dish I had in Italy, but it was done with beef brazola. Um, so I kind of, when I did my book, uh, I wanted to, uh, to, you know, reinvent that dish, but, um, that's one of my favorite recipes. Um, you know, we do duck prosciutto at the restaurant. That would be great on a pizza. Um, or even like, you know, your pepperoni or summer sausage, things like that. Um, you know, absolutely, you know, awesome on a pizza. Summer sausage on a pizza. 
or like you know your pepperoni like people make pepperoni sticks yeah yeah um, yeah. yeah chop you know slice those thin and uh yeah put on your pizza tomato sauce you know a nice mozzarella fire I, I in the wood burning stove you know I, I think that we should make a commitment to do one or two of these a month um yeah <laughs> we, we we need we need to do a podcast to where you come on here and you just throw down a recipe from your cookbook people are starving for this kind of content of what do i do with this piece of meat what do yeah. i pair it with what do i do with the rendered fat what do i do with leftovers like one of the big yeah. things in my household is that I tell people like, look, I grew up poor, so I don't like yeah. to see anything go to waste. And I talk to yeah. my daughter all the time about the, the leftovers are awesome when done the right way. Leftovers. Le oh, leftovers yeah. are great. Right. And I'm glad that yeah. you say that, but this yeah. is such a big part of, of my life of like, don't throw anything away. I will find yeah. a use for that. I don't like seeing things yeah. spoiled or, up, or put away. Yeah. I was brought up, you know, very similar to what you're describing. You know, we didn't waste food in my house. And I think as hunters, we put so much work into acquiring that meat. Like exactly. you know, if, if anything spoils or goes to waste, like it hurts, you know, it like does. I've luckily, I've never had a freezer go down, but like I was at my buddy's when he discovered that his freezer had gone down. It was just a small freezer, like in his trailer at the lake. Uh, and he lost a bunch of deer meat and he was pissed, like absolutely heartbroken. And, uh, you know, so I, I think when we put so much effort into, you know, acquiring that meat, it, it makes it that much more special and we have so much more respect for it. Um, but, you know, I, I love to make a stew or a chili or, you know, I made elk meatballs last night for dinner and tomato sauce and I just ate it for lunch. Like it's, um, you, you know, I love to make a big pot of something. I'm very simple. I can eat that for the next four days. Like, I too. don't care. What'd you put so, in your elk meatballs? Um, uh, chopped garlic, um, a bit of leek and salt and pepper, you know, pretty simple. And then um, I just kind of fried them off in a big pot. Um, added chopped mushrooms to the pot and then, um, uh, tomato sauce. Just kind Should of you ever use breadcrumbs in a meatball? You can. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to cut like 50 pounds. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have, I used to ride my bike everywhere and I used to ride like where I used to live was on the lake and I would ride my bike to work. And then I owned a rest. Now I own a restaurant and I drive my truck to work every day. Um, so yeah, so I'm trying to lose a ton of weight. So I'm like off all sugar carbs. You know, I'm having a couple beers on Sundays is my sort of go to Sunday's my cheat day. But, um, you know what like our burgers at the restaurant we don't we do a game burger um with bison deer and boar um we don't put anything in it not even salt pepper we put salt pepper after um but you don't need to you know it if you mix it you know well enough um you don't need to add fillers you know you can a lot of people do um i'm so glad you're saying this because when people yeah, you don't need to when people see us making the meatballs for one of the first thing they do well did you put egg in there with with yeah. a, with a bunch of breadcrumbs or italian style breadcrumbs and i just don't yeah. do it i just yeah. i like that you just said that you wait until after to yeah. season it like when yeah. we're, we've been doing a lot of goose ground right well you could put yeah. chorizo flavoring in there maple bacon sauce whatever it is flavoring yeah. right well yeah. i like to just put it in there as it is and then take care you yeah. know then season it when it comes out and get creative with it yeah no, 100%. You, and, you know, if you put an egg in your burger or your meatballs, then you kind of have to put breadcrumbs to make it too stick wet. or else it's going to be wet. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, one of the cool things with, with doing burgers, if, if you buy a burger press, 
um, you know, you can get a cheap one for like 20, you know, 15, $20. Um, but when you press them, uh, in a, they're metal. Um, you know, a lot of these plastic ones are kind of gimmicky, but it's a metal press and, you know, you make a ball and then you press it, you know, um, some of them are kind of like hydraulic, the, you know, commercial ones. Um, but that thing is so tight packed. It, uh, it doesn't break apart on your grill or, um, in the pan. Um, and as long as you're starting off hot, uh, it won't stick. So, uh, that's kind of the secret, you know, there with not having to use fillers to make them stick. I've been doing this so much where it's just a meatball to a press and into yeah. a patty, right? Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not patty. Yeah. I'm and not patty. Yeah. I'm not doing yeah. any of that or the raw beef yeah. in the hands. I'm just like yeah. quick meatball and then yeah. press. It's so good. Like yeah. it's a, and we're doing yeah. a ton of wild game. You burgers that way. Yeah. You, you taste the meat. All, yeah. It's like, you know, you're not tasting eggs and breadcrumb and, um, you know, seasonings or whatever you're putting in there. It's just, I got to ask pepper. you this, Michael Hunter, you just yeah. brought up a great point. <laughs> I have some friends that literally, I look at them and just shake my head. Like I just spent three hours visual. Like I'm a, I'm, I love the art of visualization. Like I always yeah. tell people the night before the hunt, I visualize the hunt, the hide, yeah. the wind, the temperatures, the barometric pressure, the roost, the loaf, where the ducks are coming yeah, from, yeah. all of that. Right. And then during the hunt, yeah. we start to kill a few, the dogs are bringing back some animals, I start yeah. to visualize the cook. So yeah. now I'm fired up. I'm real passionate about this. I want to make this duck yeah. experience awesome for you people tonight. And then these guys grab hot sauce. They grab ranch dressing. They grab all these <laughs> dipping sauces, right? Like, I'm just like, yeah. listen, you're a restaurant guy. You have to have this stuff on hand. And no, the yeah. old, the old adage was, Hey, do you have any Heinz 57? When we tease my dad, right? He cooked the perfect yeah. deer steak and you're like, Oh, I'm going to put some ketchup on. No, you don't do this. Yeah. What is yeah. your opinion of this sauce craze of like, yeah. my, my daughter's like, I got to have ranch on my pizza. I'm like, have you ever tasted pizza just for the pizza? Yeah. Like the basil's in it and all of this, like yeah. the sauces drive me crazy, especially <laughs> this hot sauce craze. Like I like a little douse yeah. of Tabasco or Louisiana hot sauce yeah. once in a while, but I'm talking, these guys will put a half a bottle on an omelet. I'm like, you're not yeah. even tasting what we just did with yeah. this meal and am i own, like do burning. you agree with this or are you a, are you a sauce guy i am you know i am like you where i don't i don't put a lot of sauce on my food you know i will i make home homemade hot sauce and i try and make like uh sort of like something that, like frank's you know i'll have a couple different styles but you know i have one i i like you know the vinegar based sauces um so i'll put a, like a you know a drop or something on my eggs um but yeah i i'm i'm very simple like i like salt and pepper on you know my meat you know fish you know salt and lemon at the end like i don't i'm not too crazy um but you know being in restaurants and seeing how people you know want to eat um you know i get i don't get offended by it anymore like if someone wants to eat it well, so you don't get like, offended like i do i need to I let it go don't offended. are you telling me yeah, i need to let it go you can't <laughs> take it personally is what i'm saying <laughs> i take I'm it so personal it, you know? Some people get so pissed off in the kitchen. Oh, this guy wants his steak well done. I'll say, well, if he's going to enjoy it that way, then let him enjoy it. Let him enjoy it, right? You know, like, but yeah, like when you're working hard on something and your friends just douse it in in Frank's, then it's or whatever they're they're putting on. I can see. I totally get how that is uh, annoying. (laughs) Are you a fan of the movie Chef with John Favreau? Have you seen it? I have seen it. It's been a few years. Um, there was some accurate points. Uh, was that the one? Does he have a food truck in that one? Oh, yeah, he goes. He goes else. to the food yeah. truck after he quits the the French yeah. restaurant. Yeah. Um, you know, they're never really you know 100 percent accurate. You know, I think there was there were some good points. I like John Favreau. I think he's funny. Um, you know, do you but, watch his you know, show, never... The Chef Show? Have you watched that on Netflix? Um, 
I saw the movie. So if he's got a show, I haven't seen. He has three seasons or four now with Chef Cho, okay. you know, Cho from okay. Vegas. But they, yeah. they, they go around and visit some kitchens now. But a lot of it's oh, filmed cool. in Favreau. Yeah. A lot of it's filmed in Favreau's backyard and his commercial oh, kitchen okay. he built. And they do yeah. some pretty killer stuff on it. Oh, neat. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, it's on. I think they got three or four seasons. Let's. I, I want to. Cool. I'm serious. Okay. I'm. Gonna, I'm going to text you and maybe talk about doing a a monthly, maybe even a two month series with you if you if you want to come on and promote the cookbook and just talk recipes because I love what you're doing, man. Um, Thank you. Talk to me. You mentioned beers on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> How important um, is it to the 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 word pairing? Let's end this conversation yeah. by, I. I Wild game, red meat wild game. Okay, I'm talking about the the venisons, the ducks. Um, do you do you do it just on preference, or is there something that you follow when you're pairing with this wild game? Like, should you, could you teach me something about? Okay, well, if you have duck, you want this type of wine, or you want yeah. this type of lager, or is it okay to have some Gibson's 24 or Jack Daniels Sinatra with with red meat? What what it, yeah. what should what should the the eater the, the 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 customer know what the how to make that experience the best? Do you have right. some insight on that? Um, so you mentioned like duck and, and, uh, you know, uh, I think you said Gibson's 24. Um, I think when you're using, uh, the alcohol in the food, I like to pair with it that way. I think that's really fun. Um, you know, I make, uh, like an apple compote with Jack Daniels and, uh, sugar and the compote, like it's apple sugar and Jack Daniels and some time, you know, reduced, uh, into like almost like a jam. Um, you know, then you can kind of taste it in there. And then, you know, having a, uh, you know, a Jack Daniels cocktail with dinner previous, you know, pr right prior to dinner, I think, I think works, um, you know, on the wine front, um, game really, uh, goes well with like, you know, really fruit forward wine and real full body, um, stuff. So, you know, really, you know, heavy reds, um, or like, you know, really bright fruity reds go really well with game. Um, uh, you know, some of the more subtle, like, um, you know, Pinot Noirs or, you know, Merlots that are a little, little more subtle. Um, they're kind of, you know, overshadowed by the meat, I think. So, you know, when you're thinking game and wine, go for like big, uh, you know, big, heavy, heavy reds. Um, and for, you know, beer is a lot of personal preference. I don't like really, really hoppy stuff. I find it too bitter. Um, but you know, things like I love Guinness, I love Amber Ales. I like kind of some darker beers, um, which go well in the winter. So if you're doing stews or heavier, uh, you know, chilies or, you know, rich dishes, um, yeah, I think, you know, pair it with more of a rich beer um, to kind of match that um, flavor. And then, you know, summertime when you're grilling, if you're, you know, grilling a duck breast, you can go with a lighter kind of lager. Um, but I think, you know, with the food should match the alcohol. So if it's a real heavy, flavorful dish, have a real heavy, flavorful, you know, kind of pairing for it. I want to do, I want to come back on with our second podcast and I want to, I want to like work backwards and I want to get into from field to table. Like you hear that a lot right now, field to fork, field table, a lot goes into when that animal dies. Okay. There's a yep. lot from an antelope in 90 degree weather in Nevada to a bear to a halibut on a boat. I want to talk to yep. you a little bit about your mentality when we come back with uh, part two of Michael Hunter of how do we, 
ensure that that's going to be right for the table from the field to the time we butcher it and process it and get it into the freezer? Do you always want to vacuum seal? Is there a such thing as putting a Ziploc bag full of meat into a freezer and risk getting the frostbite on there? Like I want, I want to see if you, or you know, if not frostbite, but the freezer burn effect of, yeah. of the meat on there. I want to talk to you. I want to work backwards on our next one. It's Michael Hunter. Talk to me, tell the audience where they can find the book. Where can we order the book? And when can we, can we fly? I mean, it's tough for me right now, but I want to come yeah. visit the restaurant. I, I we need to come yeah, up man. there. I want to sit down Love and I, 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 I'm not real good at pronouncing charcuterie. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, yeah you nailed it. Charcuterie <laughs> board. That's only because you nailed it so good, but I want to come try everything, man. What you're doing yeah. is so badass, bro. Congratulations. I'm so Thank glad. So I'm so glad that you, that you fought through this pandemic. It's going to come out great. I can't wait for you to start opening. Maybe I'll be one of your first franchisees down here in the States. <laughs> the antler that, i'll take it on um so yeah so uh the book is available you know really anywhere books are sold chapters indigo uh amazon's probably the you know easiest uh, you know for for people that want that home delivery um you know bass pro and cabela's has them so next time you're at bass pro check out the you know the book section um my website thehunterchef.com we've got a, a an online store uh we'll, we'll we actually ship out signed copies from antler uh we've got some hats and maple syrup and stuff like that on there too um uh, antlers in toronto so if anyone's you know coming around on business please stop by um and, and say hi um yeah like i said i'm there most days so if you put in the reso that uh you know you're coming in and want to say hi uh we'll see that and i'll make sure i'm i'm there um but uh yeah i think uh i think that's it i can't wait to come there i can't wait to have you back on thank you my friend yeah thank Joke. you for having me this has been a lot of fun yeah i want to keep doing it. i want to i'm just so um envious of i mean i'm envious listen i'm envious of a couple things in life and it has nothing to do with money it has nothing to do with castles or porsches or lamborghinis i'm envious of unbelievable chefs and butchers when i watch a butcher work my godfather lauren biglieri was a he's a butcher and when i watch him work knives and when i watch him break down wild game or beef or lamb or whatever i'm just so like Golly, makes it look so easy. I love that. I think it's yeah. I think it's such a lost art, and I think yeah. that we should all know how to change a tire and cut up cut up beef, oh, right? Like amen. we should be able to break down a deer. That's what we. That's how we need to raise amen. our kids, in my opinion. That's how I was raised. But when I see yeah. it done the way that they do it, it, you know, I get so envious. It's incredible so, to watch a butcher work for sure. Oh man, cool. I'm so. I wish I had a reality show I could watch it every day and just stream yeah. it, just like guys going around and butchering and and yeah. showing people like how to do how to make it the you know the cuts the right way. But yeah, man, I'm yeah. excited to have you back on the biggest the biggest um thing that i want to take away from this is that the the passion that you have for it and when you look at your photos and your art the and i do call your recipes and your meals art i i it just it makes you want to try it may and i want to take it a step further than that that this is not brain science okay this is not like you're some surgeon that's got 40 years of of nasa (laughs) you know nasa space technology education this is cooking okay i don't want to make it sound like it's impossible you make it look easy because of the passion you put behind it people can do this you, yep. the, the intimidation factor is is big in this we're going to come back and talk about in the field processing and butchering and then part three i want to talk about how to get past that intimidation factor of preparing wild game or pre- preparing any food because it's yep. a it's a big it's a different to cook for yourself as it is to cook for a, a room full of, of patrons or even a, a dinner party of 15 or 20 people and when they're friends right. i want those people yeah, to come yeah, away yeah. with an experience of like holy shit dude that was awesome 
Oh, yeah. That was really good. So I want to get, I want to talk to people about cool. how do you get past that intimidation factor of yeah. cooking? Because everything that goes into living off the land from hunting to yeah. taking that, that responsibility of aiming an arrow or a muzzle loader or a, a rifle or a shotgun, it's a big responsibility. And if yeah. you're going to kill totally. it, if you're going to kill it, you eat it. That's bottom yeah. line. You eat it. You make sure that it gets eaten. That's that's the, that's this lifestyle, and I'm so fortunate to live it. That's Michael Hunter, the Hunter Chef. Thank you for being on. Thank you all for listening to another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Jack Daniels, thank you so much. My man Michael and I will enjoy a Jack Daniels in camp and at his <laughs> restaurant, The Antler, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I can't wait to get up there. This has been another episode of, like I said, This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Leith Lofton, take us out. This song is called What You Gonna Do When The Money's All Gone. Cause I'd rather be poor living off in a hole Than rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't last too long So what you gonna do when the money's all gone I'd rather be 